going live. We are live. Three, two, no, we already hit play. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so this is the uh, first recording of Gen H, uh, better name to be disclosed later. <laughs> uh, what does Gen H stand for? Well, let me explain. Gen H is short for Generation Hustle. Yeah. <laughs> no, because on this channel, what we're going to be talking about is uh, any and everything hustle uh, related, right? So anything that's going to get money coming in, anything that has a lot of effort going out in order for you to kind of like be a more wealthy, well-rounded, just kind of like, I don't know, more income yeah. individual. Financially so, free, I mean, there's... Exactly. So just anything. I mean, anything from uh, whether it's real estate or it's stock or it's just side hustles that you can do on the weekends or, or after work hours or that side hustle to eventually become like a full time gig. So that's what we're going to be talking about on this channel. Uh, this is the first episode. Uh, so what we'll do shortly is uh, introduce ourselves. So we'll start with Daryl and then just kind of work our way over. Cool. So I'm Daryl Parker, uh, investor. I do fix and flip, rental properties, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, a little bit of note buying and stuff like that. So, yep. And uh, <laughs> my name is Dylan, and I do kind of the same thing as Daryl, except I don't flip as many. I'd like to keep them and <laughs> refinance them. But yes, yeah, a couple short-term rentals, a lot of long-term rentals, and a few flips every here and there. Uh, and what I do is I'm more of a hustler. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, what I, so what I, I'm also the same thing. I also uh, buy rental properties. Um, I do Airbnbs, so short terms. We're looking into doing long-term rentals, uh, like corporate type stuff. Um, but then we also flip some properties too. Um, and since we do this as a family, as a small family business, it's, uh, yeah. Gotta get that money coming in. So anything hustle hustle related, we're making it happen. So, um, so what we're gonna start with on episode one, since we're all in real estate and we all invest into both long term and short term rental properties, um, a topic that usually comes up in newbie investors that kind of come up to us is all about how to analyze the market that you're looking to buy a rental property in, right? So. You have something that comes on the MLS, you have something that a wholesaler, um, which we'll describe in just a bit, a wholesaler comes up to you and says, hey, I have a house on the market. How do you determine if that house is a good viable option for you to buy? Whether it's the numbers of the house itself, whether it's the neighborhood that it's in, whether it's the pricing altogether, just all these factors have to come into play. And obviously we're doing it on a regular basis. I mean, some of us are doing it uh, daily, twice a day, just analyzing deals that come our way. And then we determine quickly what, what works and what doesn't work, or at least based on our own thresholds. And we'll definitely, <laughs> that's very low. He's our, he's our sidekick. He's going to be showing up every once in a while. Maybe eventually we'll do a feature on him. But, <laughs> but, but it's, it's essentially kind of breaking down how we each analyze our own deals. Cause we're all doing it very differently. Right. Daryl's doing it in a very different market than say Dylan and I, but he's also doing some commercial stuff. I mean, he has a very different kind of approach and it might just be given to his, his uh, like what he has is at, at his disposal, right? Dylan, Dylan also, he's been in the game for a lot longer. He has a different approach just based on his threshold, right? What he accepts is what's, you know, his leverage position or just like 
the neighborhoods or whether it's the amount of money that he's going to be investing. And then I have my own threshold. So uh, the way the way we kind of figured it is that all three of us have very different approaches. We all invest very differently, but we're all kind of in the same industry. So it's a way to kind of present that no matter where you are or what your personal thresholds are, there's no right or wrong way. So I, I guess the first question is, um, uh, what is a rental market analysis? What is that? What is it in general? And then what does that look like? Like, what are your steps to go through it, right? So market rental analysis is just like, how are you analyzing the market that you're in or the market for the deal that's been presented to you? Like, without getting into specifics, like how are you just like quickly in your head getting through that and how did you eventually get to that point? So to get to that point, you really, <clears throat> I like to go by neighborhood or by small area because the smaller the area, you're gonna get the best comps pretty much and comps, that's gonna be what the houses sold for when they were completely renovated and what they sold for for cash because you also wanna know that in order to analyze the deal properly, you wanna know what people are paying cash for and then what the regular, I guess, mom and pops are paying when they buy that house as their forever home, you wanna know what they pay on the end buyer as well. So you really wanna go through and know square footage per dollar, beds, baths, all of that good stuff to know what really to analyze to even where to start because once so, you get that to start then so what makes that stronger so mm -hmm. if if say you're looking at dollar per square yes. foot bed bath like what are you looking at to determine um like what what resources are you looking at uh so you have so many resources i mean with our cell phones and everything we have able you got trulia you got redfin you got zillow you really have county websites to go on to be able to tell what tax assessments are and that's can, free that's yeah, free that's so all don't, free information yeah yeah so it doesn't cost you anything to analyze these deals you can go through and once you get the lead or you find a house that you want to be a lead, you can go through and you can get their information from there. You can get what houses sold for in the neighborhood, pretty much everything. And, and, a, good, and a good practice that he's he's uh, kind of alluding to is you, you'll find houses that come on the market, say on the MLS, right? Just on Zillow, Redfin, yep. Truly. So these different websites. Uh, good practices maybe to like just analyze them as they sit on the market. Yeah. So without feeling like there's the pressure or the stress, because as you get more experience in this market, like the faster things go and it, it'll never be too fast. Right. It, especially when a good deal is available. So a good practice that he's really pointing out, kind of uh, insinuating is that Zillow, uh, Trulia, Redfin, all these different, they have uh, houses that come on the market that are inexpensive that you can analyze given county data, yes. given the comps that have already sold, just like look at the surrounding area and then just kind of go based on that. Cause that is what lenders are going off of, yep. right? So we'll eventually talk about rentals and like how banks are looking at that. But like they look at comps, yes. they look at competing uh, uh, yeah. assets. And right. not only that, but you really don't go and look at the Zestimate that Zillow tells you. You want to <laughs> take work. all of these apps and platforms and turn them into your own numbers because what Zillow says the Zestimate is, is probably not what it's actually going to sell for or could list for. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that is only one piece of the big pie because yeah. you really want to go through all of the data to tell you what it's going to As much for. data. As much data as you can. And that later, that data is going to be very limited, maybe at the beginning. But then you'll be you'll have more conversations with other people that 
are doing the same thing and then you'll start to add more tools to your tool belt. So, yeah. so Dylan, you've been doing it for quite a while. Um, how, like, how, did, how did you get to your like ideal uh, rental market analysis kind of situation? Like your, your, like your Rolodex of what you're going through when you're analyzing a deal. How'd you, how'd you get to that and what are you doing? So first, when I look at properties, I look at ways to either add a bathroom or add a bedroom to the property because that increases the value significantly because appraisers now compare, if you add a bathroom, now they'll be comparing the two bathrooms with other two bathrooms that sold, which can really boost up uh, the value of the property, whether you're going to flip it or whether you're going to refinance it. To figure out what it could rent for, it's super easy after that. Um, you just go on Zillow, look at for rent houses in the area, and it'll kind of tell you what houses or how much you can get for that house. So if you have a two bedroom, two bath house, you look on Zillow, if there's another two bedroom, two bath house within half a mile to a mile, you can, um, and it's ready for 1400, you can determine that yours can rent for about 1400. But if yours is nicer than that, has more amenities, has granite countertops, nicer cabinets, maybe comes with a washer dryer, you can rent for even more than that, 15 to 1600. Once you figure that out, then you go to the bank, refinance it, pull that money out, and, <laughs> and take that out. I was going to say, I mean, that's, we can go on and on about that. Cause, uh, a lot of people don't know you can get 75% on your appraised value. So yeah. what he's talking about is get them to pay the back. He will actually go to the bank and get them to pay his hard money lender who loaned him the money to buy the house. So, And, and that's really how we've all grown our portfolio. Yes. Right? And now there's been a, a, a term that's been coined. It's burr. Burr. Right? Yeah. It's, it's cold in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's buy, renovate, uh, rent, refinance, and then repeat. So it, it's something that's been coined, but it's been it's been done for, for a, a long time. And now there's different products out there that are, are specifically almost like targeting just yeah. that, which is which is awesome. So never feel like you're limited to like what your resources are and what you have to do or how much money you have. Cause it's, we're not all working just to off of cash that we have, uh, that we just always have an extra like 30 or $40,000 to like put into a house. And then that's how we're getting our houses. It's not, we we're essentially, it's a, it's a use rinse and repeat. And we yeah. all came from different backgrounds. Like I know when I started, <laughs> I didn't have but two or $3,000 when I got started and turned that into what it is now. Yeah. And I don't know about Dylan mm -hmm. or you, Carlos, but I didn't start with much money at all. It's just constantly doing that process that really got me going because I was able to buy, even starting at one house at a time, bought, bought a house, fixed it up, put a little bit of money into it, went to the bank to refinance it, got all my money back out, take that money, put it in another house. Eventually, if you do that enough times, you could start doing two houses at once and then three houses at once, and then you have enough reserves, and you're also getting rental income from all those houses. And, and something that Dylan once mentioned to me that it didn't really hit until he said it was when you buy a house that's deeply discounted, right? It can be, it can be on the MLS or there's other resources, right? Wholesalers, which are people who go out and scout sellers who are looking to just unload their properties or sell their properties um, essentially as quickly as possible for whatever reason. I mean, it could be in distress, they could be uh, facing foreclosures, they could have had a parent that died and they're in a position where they own it and they don't want another uh, property, right? Because they live several states away or whatever the case is. Yeah. These wholesalers find these deals, negotiate with the sellers to something that's agreeable to everybody, right? And then they come to people like us and we've just happened to 
become really good friends with a lot of them. We, we tend to get on lists for a lot of them and just like kind of really keep those relationships. But eventually those wholesalers will reach out to us and then we can find those deals at a de deeply discounted rate, yeah. right? So I'll give you a really simple example. If the house eventually sells for at the end because of comps and the analysis we've done, if the house is selling for 100,000, most of us are trying to buy it at like 50%, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it mm -hmm. sounds kind of crazy, but they there are those margins there. So when we buy it for 50% off at, and then we invest, say $25,000 into it, as Daryl was saying, banks will then go around and lend you 75% yeah. of, of the value of the property. So now you can pull essentially all your money back. There's cost in there, like closing costs and a lot of things that we'll get into. We'll make a video on that too. But there's a lot of other costs that you need to factor in that you might need to keep in the deal, right? But like, let's say that you have to keep $10,000 in the deal, right? Who would love? Who would not love to buy a house for ten thousand dollars? Let's and, be real. And that's and one thing is like and something that Dylan once mentioned is like, even at ten percent, ten thousand dollars that you have to leave in the house on a hundred thousand dollar house, that's ten percent, right? Ten percent. And if you're buying a second home or an investment property, they're making you put twenty percent down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like it's still. I mean, you're still ahead. Sure, you have to leave money in it. But you still leave. You still have equity in the house and too. So, so if in that case, if you're buying it for seventy five, or if it's worth a hundred, you have eighty five into it. You still have fifteen thousand dollars of equity yeah. at the end of the day. So I mean, let's be real. Who's going to give you a house for free if you have ten thousand yeah. dollars into a house and it makes you five hundred dollars per month? That's a win. Yeah, yeah. there there yeah. is no lose, and that's a, a situation because you don't just put ten thousand in the stock market and expect to get five hundred back every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This doesn't happen. Tons of other benefits. You get principal pay down every month. You get appreciation yes. of the property every month. You also get the tax write offs, and then also you get the rental rental income from the cash flow, which is just on all that together. You know, is just amazing. Yeah, tax systems built for real estate, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You get so many write-offs. <laughs> you got to think, there's a lot of taxes that the normal person really doesn't get unless you do. And you can even get write-offs on your W-2 job for having real estate. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't just go for us self-employed guys. Like, it counts for W-2 employees as well. Yeah. Now, if you're flipping houses like Daryl here, you, know, you might have a large yeah. tax bill, but... <laughs> tax bill rich. Tax bill rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. All right. So um, another question that, that we had was, and this is a pretty simple question, but sometimes it gets a little confusing, is how are you pricing or, or define price per square foot, right? Because you mentioned that earlier in your yes. answer, right? So like that's obviously one of the factors that you're considering. Yes. Adding a bedroom or adding a bathroom is really simple to understand. Yep. But like how are you determining price per square foot and how are you using that to determine how do you buy, like how are you gonna sell it? Like, All right, how so are you using that data? Just a little bit of an example. Say your house is worth 200,000, completely renovated, new floors, paint, sheetrock, appliances, all of that. And you're a thousand square foot rancher selling for 200,000. That means you're $200 a square foot. Meaning I want to buy it for $100 a square foot put the extra $25 per square foot into it, and now I'm at my 75% mm. of where I want to be. But to, uh, so price per square foot is based off of solely your square footage 
per how much that house is going to sell for and you just divide the two and that's what you come up with you get price per square foot and every neighborhood <coughs> has a different price per square foot there's not this neighborhood it might be 200 this neighborhood might be 150 this neighborhood might be a hundred dollars a square foot it just you have to really run and that's why i say when you run your numbers make your make your size neighborhood smaller rather than larger yeah. because you might be playing into a different neighborhood two miles down the road that could be $150 a square foot and it kind of drop yours even though yours could be up here. Yeah, yeah, because that's what banks are doing or um, yeah, banks, especially if you're selling or if you're renting and you're refinancing. I mean, that circle, that radius of how they're analyzing or using the comps on your house starts really small. Really small. Right? Yep. So they start as small as possible. And they look in that area to see how that comp, are there comp, other comps that are like that, right? Are there other houses that are 2-1 that look and are similar size to yours? So that's why price per square foot is so important because if you're selling a, a thousand square foot house and then you're surrounded by 2,000 square feet houses, like the comps are going to be very different. They really can't do a, a, a like a fair comparison. Right, so like they're going to go outside of that. So in that type of scenario, like they're not going to look at your thousand dollar, a thousand square foot house and the two thousand square foot house and be like, oh, yes, yeah, we're going to match it. They're going to match it's the same. Bed, yeah, it, it's three not one baths, thousands, twelve hundred square feet. They're going to kind of keep it very similar. Yeah, they're going to try to keep it as similar as possible. So they're going to increase or that like they're going to build out on that radius as time kind of goes on. So is there anything you wanted to add on the a price per square foot? Yeah. So basically, if you're buying a two thousand, but to your point, if you're buying a 2,000 square foot house, or you're buying a 1,000 square foot house and there's a 2,000 square foot house that sold for 200,000, let's say, that doesn't mean necessarily mean yours is worth 100,000 square Correct. feet. Because there's a lot of fixed costs into building a house in the, in the first place. Um, typically when I refinance properties, I do look really in deep in the appraisal reports. And appraisers like to, based on the price of the house, but usually if you're working with the $200,000 houses, they'll deduct $60 per square foot or add $60 per square foot, the more you have. Gotcha. Now, if you're in like the 100,000 range, they'll only add $30 per square foot. So they do take into consideration the bit, pouring the foundation, the permits and everything, run the electric, the water into consideration. And you have to also take that into consideration when you're doing, uh, finding the value at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. so building additions, building, I mean, all that kind of stuff uh, to this point. And that's, that's experience talking, right? Like you've, you've seen it enough, you've seen enough appraisal reports and you're digging through the numbers it's not it's not a winging it thing no you don't wing it, trust me <laughs> that's how you're going to get in trouble in this case yeah start winging things. Yeah, yeah, yeah um yeah so for me same thing i mean i'm just kind of like adding on to to whatever information you guys are given but it, that's pretty much it it's yeah. it's so you're for your math uh, math guys out there it's your denominator <laughs> is your selling price right and your uh no it's your sorry your numerator yeah. is your selling price and your denominator is your square feet it's gonna say right? next on the next episode we're gonna need a dry erase yeah we're, yeah. Gonna, we're sketching out for you. <laughs> um all right so we have that um and then we also have uh what do you look at uh what do you look for when you're evaluating a neighborhood are you looking are you looking or either one of you guys looking into like schools the rating of schools proximity to like major roads grocery stores or is it really just a hey i'm buying it at a decent price i'm yeah. looking at the comps i can make money on it i'm not really kind of and, and you can look at it both ways because i know you do a lot of flips but yeah 
So, so flipping is one way, and yeah. then as a rental, it's a, it might be a completely different kind of outlook yes. on how you're analyzing. Yeah. So do you want to break both so of those I, down? I agree that I look at those things, but I don't know if that's like a deciding factor for me because it really depends on your play. Is it long-term? Is it yeah. short-term rental? Because Airbnb short-term rental, it doesn't matter what the school systems are. You can be in the worst school district, but as long as you're in a decent area and your house rents near corporate buildings, you're still going to be renting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that part doesn't necessarily matter. I do think it does matter for long-term rentals because if they're coming and you're a, over a three-bedroom house, a four- or five-bedroom house, nine times out of ten, it's going to be a family. Yeah. Most families have under 18-year-old kids, meaning they're going to need to be in that school district. And they're probably not going to choose a school district that they don't necessarily like. So, so I do say it plays So, so if, you, if, you, if somebody brings a house to you that yep. is a good deal. Yep. 40% off, 50% off, um, and you're seeing that of the school district. Yes. That is that going to influence then if you're going to hold it as a rental opposed to like sell it? I'd say it matters. I wouldn't, I don't know if it matters that much as in I'm going to sell it versus hold it. Yeah. But I do think it matters. Okay. So what determines you whether to sell it or hold versus hold it? Yeah, is it purchase price? Is it so if I'm in that seventy-five percent range, that's where that's kind of okay. where I'm. So if you can get all your cash, if back. if I can get close to all my cash back, and I know the rent, it, like you said, there's multiple factors. So if my rent is fifteen hundred, and I can be all in for one hundred and twenty thousand, probably gonna rent that and keep it just yeah, because yeah. it's gonna cash flow no matter what. Yeah, just yeah. based off of that. But then that also means then that it would make for a really good flip. Yeah, it, right. So that's like, the problem like, like if it cash business. flows, and yeah. if, if you can refinance yeah. and pull a lot of that money out, that also means that if you were to sell it, you're you making could also 60, pull, 70, yeah, yeah you could also pull a lot of money out. Yeah. So yeah. it goes both ways because every house that I keep would make a great flip. Yeah. At the end of the day, they all make great flips, mm -hmm. but you have to. For me, I'm in a position to where I'm thinking long term and not short term. Yeah. That's really it for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's kids been a big now, shift so in it's, your. It's a yeah. different mindset because. I want to leave them something. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. not only that, but I want to be able to spend as much time with them. And this is what we're talking about. Yeah. This frees up your time at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. more cash flow and rentals you have, the more time you exactly. get back. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. What about you, Billy? You're in what, what are you? Yeah. Like, so, for me, all my houses are in the Richmond area, and obviously, all the school districts are pretty rough there anyway. <laughs> so, literally, for me, I pay zero attention to schools. Yeah. And now, if it's on the suburbs of Richmond, um, actually, I still don't pay attention to schools. I, all I look at is the, <laughs> I probably should if it starts to get those nice areas. But for me, I just look at the comps. If, can, if I see a good a house that's selling for two hundred thousand, and I'll, I can make good money, I'll sell for two hundred thousand, and I don't care about the school districts. If someone's willing to buy that house for two hundred, and I make it the same, most likely someone's going to be willing to buy mine. 200. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. I agree. Um, yeah. Because your comps still never lie. So whatever your comps put you at, yeah. regardless of the school systems, you ran your comps for that neighborhood in that school system. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, re you? regardless of the yeah. school. Yeah, so I'm kind of like Dylan. Because like regardless of the school, yeah. the schools, right? It, it, I'm basing myself on, on comps. Yeah. So schools are important, sure. But as a seller, if all the houses in that entire subdivision are selling for... Three hundred thousand. Then you got a three hundred thousand. Then I have house. a three hundred thousand dollar house, right? So like, uh, obviously, uh, I don't know. A hundred families decided oh, that yeah. three hundred thousand dollars was a good price point in that school district. 
who am I to be like, no, I think it's going to be worth 250 because I don't like the school district. The market's yeah. the market. Yeah, exactly. So, so for me, like when I'm, when I'm evaluating, am I looking at neighborhoods like Dylan? Most, especially actively in now, all we're buying is in Richmond. So like we're, we're looking just like 15 minute vicinity of Richmond and same thing. I mean, the schools are great. Most of the people that are kind of moving into the, into the city are either going to private private school or some sort of like yeah. Montessori or or something like that. I mean, if they're not and they're just going to public, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm kind of factoring my numbers, uh, whether it's a rental or if it's a flip, just based on the comps and is it going to cash flow and am I going to make money on the back end? Not necessarily schools, so I'm not really looking at that. So, do you think on a percentage basis, uh, good school districts appreciate more than non good school That's districts? A good question. Yeah, I, I think that it does make for a stronger rental. Stronger right? rental, but yeah. do you think you'll you'll like a, I guess five hundred thousand dollars will go to five fifty in one a year factor. versus yeah. hundred going to hundred ten? So? so I I think so, but it's also. Uh, it depends on the neighborhood too, because some of the neighborhoods push for it to go up in appreciation as well. Yeah. So, and they mm -hmm. might not be in great school districts, but they got yeah. good neighborhood bones or people leading the neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, the right I mean, you can see some of these houses in Richmond went from a hundred to like one eighty probably yeah. in three or four years. But those five hundred thousand dollar houses, they might have went to nine hundred actually, but I don't. I, I don't think all of them did. I don't know. Yeah. If you could look at it that way, like a house, how long does it take for a house to double? in one area versus the higher priced areas, but I don't know, they might be on the same. I would say the, the lower way. side probably double faster. Yeah, maybe. Because your $100,000 house goes to 180 pretty, I mean, you look at the quick. last 10 years, the last 10 years, $100,000 houses 10 years yeah. ago are now 180, 200. Yeah. Yeah, not, not even 10 years ago. I would say like, yeah, I would argue seven. like three, four years ago. Yeah. No, like less than that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're in a weird time right now. It's, so it's so one thing I will say um, to this point, it, like sure, you could also like play on the appreciation, right? Yeah. But for me, the holding cost of a loan that big and betting on right. appreciation. So I think it really just depends on like, where you are like where you are in your investing mm -hmm. right very, like yeah. if we're being aggressive which i feel yeah. like we all are yeah. because of the market because of the times and we're trying to like beat out the clock almost um i think we're just not necessarily playing off of appreciation but to go into that a little bit more what house prices are you buying at like what are your price ranges when you're buying are you under because i'm sub 200 i want to yeah, yeah, yeah i want to be buying under 200 yeah. and i want my appraisal value to be really under 250 275 yeah so I'm, I'm like that so i bought my first house over 200 like two weeks ago Same. first house ever <laughs> over, over 200. yeah wow. two two weeks ago now is the back end gonna look a lot stronger sure it's gonna yes. be Four Keeping? and a quarter. No, we're gonna sell that one. Okay, but we're gonna be at like four and a quarter, like maybe a little bit, maybe like four and a half. Okay. Once it's all said and done, so nice. on the back end, so that's gonna be good, and that's why we decided to go for it. But it's much riskier. But you, would you keep something like that? Say, say those same numbers. Would. would you keep it? I don't think I would, just okay. because I, the the turnover. Because once you get to that, uh, you call it size. Yeah. Once you yeah. get to that price point, you're also looking at a different size. Yes. Right. And, and the turnover, yeah. um, the kind of clients that you're probably looking at or like tenants that you're probably looking yeah. at, half a million dollar tenants. 
I mean, they're expecting a different kind of level of quality. Yeah. And I don't think that we're in that, at least our business model right now, is it's not in a strategy to like yeah. keep something like that. But also the turnover cost might be a lot less because the tenants are going to be a lot better to treat the house right. Yeah, yeah especially paying that much in rent, they're going to kind of treat the house like their own, you would think. It could be, but um, I mean, just yeah. say they stay there for two years, do you have to paint? Oh, that was, yeah. Ooh, yeah. But there's no, uh, I don't know. I feel you're also not going to, yeah. you're not going to not paint on a half a million dollar house. Yeah. But you got to paint the whole thing. And now you're 12 grand in paint. <laughs> 10 grand in paint if it's a 3,000, 4,000. So like the cash flow still has to make sense, right? Because right. like if you get a loan on $400,000 and your mortgage is out of 2,500, 2,500. Yeah. I was going to say, what if you're in a good area and it's an 1,800 square foot house and they're 400 grand? Because there's a lot of those out there too. You're in the 16, 1800 square feet. Yeah, but you're still then looking at like the, the mortgage. higher end. You're still looking at the mortgage on that. I agree. Yeah. Right? Like even at the smaller size, and maybe that makes sense if there's like, um, if that neighborhood or that particular area is really appreciating, then that's a gamble. Okay. Right? Because mm -hmm. like, you, I mean, it's it's not a sure thing. You're holding on to a high mortgage. Yes. People maybe are in, like really pushing to be in that neighborhood. So you're gambling on hoping that that person is seeing the appreciation of that neighborhood and they're yeah. like, we're staying here for five, seven years. Yeah. And you just you just mm -hmm. scored yourself a, a good rock. A good tenant. Yeah, yeah. a good tenant. Yeah. So, so, you? so for me, I, my investing has changed a little bit as far as cash flow. So when I first started, I was just going after cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Yeah. You know, and then I bought a bunch and then the cash flow started coming in. In Petersburg, the, the house's cash flow <laughs> went crazy. Now they're more maintenance, more headaches, but they still cash flow. So now I'm pivoting a little bit that the property doesn't necessarily have to cash flow as long as those other ones cash flow and are bringing in money. Cause then I can, you know, be a little riskier with my investments per se by a $200,000 house. I mean, granted they'll still cash flow a tiny bit, but one turnover, one month vacant, maybe two months vacant and I'm wipe the cash flow. Yeah. So I'm kind of going for those bread and butter houses now. And I can see myself in five years if I were to buy a house that Carlos bought, maybe keeping it just as, a risky investment play where I'm going for it, appreciate turn that four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house in five years to six hundred thousand. I don't know. And I mean, as a depreciation on that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that that be, and the depreciation is what they're discounting off of, like your taxes that are due, not the taxes, but like your income that's uh, yeah. that they're kind of looking at to tax you on. It eventually gets kind of taken away. I think the rate's at like that's like a whole other segment right there because yeah. a lot of people don't know you depreciate your house every year. Really, on paper, it appreciates, but yeah. on tax paper, it depreciates. Yeah, so. it doesn't mean your house literally is falling apart and it only lasts 27 and a half years. Yeah. And you could write off it over 27 and a half years. Yeah. And, and most people aren't keeping it that long. But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're keeping it 10, 15, 20 years, then you 10, 31, then something else. Yeah. I mean, there's you can go wherever you really want to go. And, and to, to Dylan's point, obviously, he's like changed strategies. And, yeah. and so has uh, Daryl, right? Like, yeah. you were flipping a lot at the very beginning getting and now you've kind of transitioned over to like rentals and short-term yeah. stuff and getting into like long-term stuff for me it's it's kind of been the same thing but um i started when i first started i started having a w-2 yes right like when you start having a w-2 you can kind of bank on buying those like 300 400 houses because yeah if something goes wrong or if you need to make up the difference or you need to pay that mortgage you can still rely on your W2, like your w to make your family still yeah to make it whole home. right like to still hold on to your loans pay those off and just kind of continue rolling uh but as we've transitioned as my family has transitioned 
from both of us having W-2s into doing this full time, we're not doing that as much. We're kind of like drawing back and we're being a little bit more aggressive to your point of like the uh, one and a quarter to $175,000 acquisition kind of price. And then looking at the back end of like, Low 200, say 225, up to like yeah. close to 300. Well, you got to think, even in a down market, a $200,000 house has never gone down more than $20,000, $30,000. Yeah. Now your three, $400,000 houses, they dropped fifteen, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. Yeah. Especially yeah. back in 2008, 2010. Yeah. They dropped 80, 50, 80, $100,000. All the houses that were 150 to 200, they didn't drop but 10 or 20 grand. Yeah, because if you use the concept of economies of scale, it. right? Like that percentage is a lot larger on yes. like a half a million dollar house yep. than like a $200,000. But it's also reverse. So the equity buildup is a lot more on those higher houses too as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's a big gamble, right? Like yeah. you just don't, you just don't know. Yeah, it's so, a bigger risk. So if the market falls, you'll lose more. If the market goes up, you'll gain more yeah. for the most part, depending on the market. Of course. And, and that's why, that's why to Dylan's uh, point from earlier, just like how he's been transitioning and can see himself yes. later doing that, mm -hmm. like getting into those kind of positions. It's just from like building himself up, like building the cash reserves, building the cash yeah. flow, like building himself up so that he could take those risks so that he can make possibly have a big upside of appreciation. Now, a lot of the uh, older investors that we know, like that's what they've done, right? Like maybe they bought 10 years ago and the houses were 200 and now they're 400, right? Mm, yeah. But like these guys, like that's what they, that's what they buy now. Like yes. they buy those like, okay, I'm gonna buy for $300,000. But again, it's because they have that cash flow that's come yeah. in. They've yeah. kind of built their strong base. So like as a new newer investor, I mean, I'd probably suggest going into the Baltimore's, the Petersburg's. Yes. Now you're gonna have to have a thicker skin. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're gonna have to, a certain kind of tolerance. You're gonna deal with a lot of problems. But if you could yeah. deal with them, you could probably deal with any tenant. <laughs> and that's and I mean, it's like Dylan. I remember five years ago when I met you, Dylan. I mean, you weren't buying anything over a hundred grand. Yeah, a hundred thousand dollars was max that he was spending, and now over the last couple of years, he's kind of up that yeah. to transition into the. So you can start here, but you can move your way up to that. It yeah. just depends yeah. on how quickly you want to move. It, it, it depends on where you are, right? Like again, again, if you have like a W two job, then you have a different door that you're going to enter through, or can yeah. enter through, right? You you maybe have more options. There are people out there that right now that maybe yeah. don't have any kind of options. They have two thousand yes. dollars when they're first getting started. Sure, they have a job and they have like money coming in, but they don't have that much to like invest in, right? But yeah. there's strategies for that too. Right? Like, can you source your own deal? Source your own deal. Source yeah, that's your... huge. If you can source your own deal, you will find money to fund it. I can yeah. promise you that. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you have a deal, like a good deal. You, you could also wholesale it as well and make a big big chunk of change and then use that turn two, two to 10,000, then that 10,000 could be. So that's how I started. Yeah. 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 I started, I wholesaled. I didn't get into jump right into flipping or buying and renting or any of that. I wholesaled my first four deals in order to get $30,000 to then now invest. Okay, so you started wholesaling. I did. Then you started flipping? Did you flip? I, yeah, I started, uh, flipped my first <laughs> first one or first two and then I started keeping and burning. The okay, so the way that you got money coming in I was by wholesaling. I took $3,000 and I went and bought as many signs as I could buy and put on every stop sign <laughs> in my city or county oh, that yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah. And I got my first four deals in 30 days and I was hooked instantly because I made $30,000 $30, in 30 days. So does that and strategy that, still work today? 
Oh, absolutely. 100%. That would work. But you have to have the gent hustle. You got to have the hustle. In the blood. You, you have to go more <laughs> quickly. Because once you do that, you're going to get a ton of phone calls. And now it's up to you to dictate how that phone call goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you getting to the table to make the deal happen? Or are you just having a phone conversation yeah. and then hanging up? Now, some people have the reps. Like, you come from sales, right? I came from sales. Some so people don't come from sales, but you'll never get that experience unless you're getting in front or on yes. the phone with these people. So get the reps in. I mean, you got to think, I, I don't know about y'all, but I look at anywhere from five to 10 houses a week and I put in offers five to 10 times and I get five to 10 no's every single week yeah. until I finally get a yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it starts again and five <laughs> to 10 and then I get Yeah, we get rejected a lot. Yeah, oh, a lot. You got to get this Especially in this market. It's, yeah. like, it's hard yeah. to get yeah. accepted. And we all came from the different spot to where I came from having little to no money. Dylan came. He went straight into flipping. Yeah, yeah. straight and into flipping. Carlos, I mean, and then I had a W2. So I had like money that was coming in. And so we were just kind of like buying turnkey ready stuff. That's, I mean, that's really, so our, we first started with foreclosures. So foreclosures, uh, a couple foreclosures, but that was a long time ago. It was over 10 years ago. And then we just, and then we bought our first personal single family home. And then we started buying like turnkey stuff until we decided to eventually be like, all right, there's a smarter way than just like yeah. throwing $30,000 at this house and just kind of getting it and still needing to do some sort of improvements in order to rent it out. So like we've all come from very different and, and that kind of reflects with our yeah. strategies too, I feel like, yep. right? Because like I feel like I started with $100,000 houses, $150,000 houses, yep. like Dylan, because he had to like build up too, right? I mean, he, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're like in a prime example of like, I'm going to fix stuff on my own. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to YouTube I started it. Construction, <laughs> so I kind of yeah. knew uh, yeah. the Where day to day how to do it. So I bought my first one for 20K in, in Petersburg. And That's awesome. <laughs> do you still have it? I still have that one. Uh, yeah. you, what is it? Cash flow is like crazy. I refinanced it. <laughs> <laughs> I refinanced it a year later and appraised for 45. So I got all my money about plus 10,000 on that one. And then you're getting so, how much? Oh and then I'm getting 650 a month on a mortgage that's 303 bucks. Nice. So, uh, so this is like a free money because he got all of his money back already. And yeah. and this specific tenant had no repairs the whole year. How long? How long ago was that? How long ago was that? Um, that was five years ago. Five years. Yeah. Five yeah. years ago. Yeah. And that's the other cool thing is we all started in different phases of our life. Yeah. Right? Dylan, you went what age were you when you got started? Yeah. 20, 20 is when I bought my first. Twenty one. years yeah, old. Twenty. Gosh, I couldn't imagine if I started at twenty. Yeah. yeah I got. Yeah. I think I started. We start. I opened the business. When I was 27. 27. 27 man. years old. Yeah. 27. Still and a lot younger than I most people, too. I had a six-month pregnant wife at home. <laughs> That'll do it to you. So if you need motivation, yeah. get a girl pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> It'll motivate you. Yeah. yeah. Now, how old were you? Uh, so, like, 20? Right yeah. first one at 20? Yeah. Four, it's awesome. a foreclosure. I was like, you lived at 20. No, no, no. Oh, it. it was like, That's yeah, cool. it was like three. It needed some work. So were you, you renting with my dad? Were you renting your own house? Like renting out? No, I was living with my parents. Oh, you're still living with your parents. Yeah. So you can live with your parents and still buy a rental Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no shame in that. Take your money and invest. 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 But yeah, and then eventually just kind of turned into like, okay, so how do we put money into it? Because we were getting like full-time jobs. I was still young at the time, so I didn't have like a full-time like profession. And then once we once we had some money coming in, we were like, all right, well, we know that this is the the right path to go in. Yeah. Because say for example, I, like we all, all 
Well, we'll get into all this in future videos, but like yeah. I had an uncle, I had a, a dad who was already investing in real estate. And then I also had my godfather who had a construction company. So like I saw the commotion, yeah. right? Like I saw how it was improving their lives and like the cash flow and that kind of thing. And then I also was seeing firsthand like the construction side. Yeah. You were yeah. also seeing the construction side, like, yeah. firsthand. You were part of it. You were, like, seeing your dad and his teams. And, like, yeah. So I was working on my dad's cruise, and they would wake up at 6 a.m. and work till 6 p.m. And so every yeah. – on the summers with college, I would just work with them. And it was brutal. Really long days, but I learned a lot and kind of kicked me – you know, got me started. And then you were – I'm the opposite. I have no construction background. I have no – nobody in my family ever owned a business. Never owned a rental property, never owned but a high primary house, and that's it. So I came from knowing absolutely nothing to just being in sales and learning the hustle of sales. And where I was at, I was getting commission. I was only commission-based, so you eat what you kill. Yeah. So yeah. guess what? I took that same mindset into real estate, and it just went full speed ahead. Yeah, that's hustle. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. Gen, Gen H, baby. Gen H. <laughs> Gen H. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right. So I guess we'll kind of end with what is the most important advice when, uh, conducting your rental market analysis? That's a good one. Some good advice. So my best advice is numbers never lie. If your numbers do not work on paper, they're not going to work in the house. No matter what you do, no matter how you think you can cut costs, none of that's going to matter. Numbers never lie. Bottom line. I would say make sure you pinpoint what the ARV is because yeah. if you're doing a rental and you're planning on refinancing it. After repair value. Yeah, oh, yeah. A after ARV is, is after repair value. So once it's all done, what that price would be. So and if you're off by a lot on that, you're not going to get your money back out. And if you have a hard money loan or private money loan on that, you're not going to pay off that private money lender. Yeah. So you get, just got to be very careful um, in that sense. But there's easy ways to do it. You look on Zillow, look at recently sold, talk to a realtor. What will this house sell for when it's done? Stuff like that. And, and, um, and those are real mistakes. Like how much is yeah, the most yeah. you've left? By, by It could have been a miscalculation Default. or the ARVs changed or whatever. Yeah, how or a bad it, appraisal. That happens too. A bad the appraisal does happen. Out, all they do is walk in for five minutes, take a few pictures, and then bring it back to their office. And I mean, explain know. to them the appraisal process. Yes. It's, someone's opinion yeah that's all it, is. it really is i mean it's an algorithm and they plug information in but that but that person that's plugging it in is like okay the grade of this house based on the yeah. different pictures i've seen i think it's a a plus great yes. we all want that but then sometimes it'll be like oh yeah, it's not as clean, this or the, so tenant, the tenant's not as clean that's oh, in it, or yeah. things yeah. like that, and then you'll get marked down to like a B minus. Yeah, that's yeah. why I stopped getting appraisals done when tenants moved in. I would get the appraisal done before, before yeah, I try and do that in. too. Because yeah. the cleaner the house, the more that appraiser yeah. could up my value. Because yeah. Of that. yeah, yeah. I also, I when I if there is a tenant in there, I actually call my tenants and say, hey, if yes. you you know insurance is coming, clean the place up, and I'll give you fifty dollars <laughs> off the rent. So in that, because I mean, that could be an extra $5,000 value if the appraisal sees it all clean, yeah. it's nice smelling. They'd be like, oh, this is a nice place rather than there's junk outside, junk all over the floor. They can't even see the hardwood floors. It can really make a difference between their opinion and what you can pull out in the end. And you'd probably pay a cleaning company for them. If, I mean, yeah. come down to it, I'd pay $200 <laughs> for a cleaning company to clean your place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so my advice would be for a rental market analysis is uh, confidence, yes. right? 
So, and, and what I mean by that is, what can you do to build your confidence in your analysis of the house, right? Whether it's um, the neighborhood, the street, the... So that's why I, at the very, very beginning, I mentioned practice. Get the rest in, practice, look at stuff yep. on, the, uh, on the MLS, whether that's uh, Zillow, whether that's Trulia, whether that's Redfield, wherever that is, yes. look at houses, pull those houses, and get comfortable with the way that you're analyzing your deals yeah. so that you can go in with confidence and be like, all right, I'm buying this house at 100,000. It's gonna at the end be, the ARV is gonna be 150. And I know that because I've looked at 1,500 houses over the last year and I've run my numbers. I'm super confident in this because once you get it, once you buy it, Trust me, once you buy your first house, yep. you, blood, your, yeah. the blood flowing through your body is going to change. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not confident in the numbers that you've run, you're going to all of a sudden start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You're going to yes. start to either over-improve, you're going to start to doubt yourself, you're going to start... I mean, things that, again, a, a confident person might still consider, but they're going to stick to their lower roles and be like, nope, I'm just going to stick with it. I think it's 150, I'm going to stay with 150. But the moment that you start losing confidence in yourself and the numbers that you've run and the reps that you've put in, yeah. you'll start to kind of waver. And then that's when things get, you'll start to, oh, I was going to flip it or I was going to rent it is a good one. I was going to rent it, but now ah, I don't know about my numbers, so I'm not going to rent it anymore. Now I'm going to sell it. Oh, I'm just going to sell it for uh, 130. And then once you go on the market, nobody's bid on it in like uh, two days, which isn't even a long time, but two days. Oh, I'm going to reduce the price again because you're not confident in the numbers that you front. Yeah. And I, what, I was gonna, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, speaking on that have two or three exit strategies. Don't just have yeah. one. If you're going into it thinking it could be a rental, go into it also thinking it could be a flip or a short term or so forth. Because yeah. the more exit strategies you have, the more your numbers, if something happens and you start to doubt yourself, yeah. now you Always. have plan B, plan C. Yeah. Yeah. And to his point, he said something about over-improving. Make sure you don't under-improve the house as well. Because yeah, if, if, I mean, even if you budget, let's say 50,000 for repairs, but you have to replace a joist in the floor or something that's starting to get rotted and you don't want to do that up front, it can really bite you down the line where yeah. someone steps through the floor or a joist breaks <laughs> or something like that, you know? <laughs> No, but then you literally have to experience. But then you have to tear up the floors and rejack it up, and then you know you have to just deal with the tenants around you at the same time. Yeah. And, and I guess what I'm saying is, when you're doing your repair value, make sure you add like an extra fifteen to twenty percent to yeah. what you think it's going to cost. Yes, just Especially to be now. safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From the time you analyze the deal to the time you close on the deal, flooring went up thirty cents a square foot. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Lumber went up. Lumber. Two dollars yeah. a board. I yeah. Mean, it's just, yeah. And, and one last thing that we'll we'll end with is, I mean, we've been in the market for some time, right? Um, we've obviously been through the changes that have happened in the market. Yes. Has there anything? Has there been anything that's changed in the way that you're analyzing your deal? Like, oh. are you are you uh, like to your point just now? Are you now factoring in? An extra instead of fifteen percent, like an extra twenty percent for incidentals because prices of everything is going up. Or are you, are are you adding to your after repair value? Are you adding to your ARV because you're thinking maybe it's going to appreciate? Has anything like significantly changed from the way that you're analyzing deals? Like 
every yes. quarter or every six months now. So I think you need to stay on the way the market is kind of twisting because my analyzing today is completely different than it was last year. Yeah. And last year was completely different than it was prior to 2020 because everything has changed and it changes monthly. Yeah. Interest rates are changing monthly. Prices on wood, I mean, everything, flooring, trim, yeah. siding, my siding, I just went and got siding. Who would have ever thought siding is oil based, which guess what? Oil is through the roof right now. So my siding went up an extra like $600, which wow. doesn't sound like a lot until 600 here, <clears throat> 600 there. Mm -hmm. Now we're three grand over budget. Yeah. So it's, and then the labor increases on top of that. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. yeah. guess what? Gas prices went up, so my guys have to pay yeah. an extra $20 to get to the job yeah. site. Yeah. So, yeah. How is it changing for you? Have you like analyzed, or are you now analyzing deals differently? Uh, just not too differently, a little bit differently. Don't, the main difference is obviously a little more on the construction side. Yeah. Also, when you're if you're looking to refinance it, you got to look at where the mortgage rates will be at that time, or what you think they will be at that time of refinancing, because you could get screwed out of your cash flow, or even being able to refinance because you don't meet the debt service ratio which is basically uh, the rent has to cover the mortgage by a certain amount. So if the interest rates go up, that increases the mortgage and then the banks aren't gonna give you that loan. So you gotta be careful with that. The multiple exit strategies is a way, you know, you can sell it rather than keep it in that case. Um, also, you gotta factor in, you know, look at the rents around and <laughs> I mean, the, the way the rents are going, you shouldn't assume they're going up. But they could also go up and make that mortgage or that debt service ratio back up to normal. And we'll so, cover debt service ratio. Right? Yeah, because the mortgage will raise, but then the rent could raise a hundred bucks in one year and bringing that up here. So you're still safe on that. So I don't know. It hasn't changed too much, but just, you know, more cost on the repairs and also look where interest rates will be in the future. And, and I guess look how easy banks are lending or what are they looking for to lend to you if yeah. they need that debt service ratio. If you're getting a conventional loan, they don't even care about the debt service ratio. They just care about your income and your W-2 income. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was say another thing is the type of loans that we're getting are commercial loans. So it's the interest rates are a lot higher when you're playing in the rental field. Yeah. They're not just three and a half like they are on the personal side. Right. They're usually looking at four and a half, five percent yeah. right now. Yeah. And it could be, I don't know. I just got a loan package on one I'm refining. We're looking at almost 6%. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's, uh, that leads me to my point of like the way that I've changed my analysis is, uh, I, I tend to only want now like really short, uh, like in and outs, yeah, like in really out. short in and outs because that that's something that's more measurable or like I can I can yes. control a little bit more because I can almost almost not everybody but like I can almost like predict where it's going to be in a month and a month right. and a half. Yes, if it's a bigger deal like the one that we just got a couple weeks ago, for that I need a bigger spread. Yeah. Right. Agreed. If if there's a bigger spread in there, then I can kind of weather to some degree the changes that might happen right yeah. i still want to go through that project as quickly as possible you know with the integrity of everything intact but like it's for me it's like uh, today today uh, for example just today uh we went out and bought vanities uh plumbing fixtures we bought a bunch of stuff for a project that's probably not going to be done for another month but i wanted to buy that stuff today because i know that yeah i mean we've all seen, i've seen it in action i've gone to the store and i'll see them changing yeah. the price on us yes so for me i want to buy all my stuff that is probably going to go up 
twenty dollars, and to your point, six hundred here, four hundred yeah. here, three hundred here, <clears throat> and it's eventually going to be a three thousand over budget scenario. So anything yeah. that that I can use that I know it's a fixed cost. I know I need a new vanity. I know I need uh, fixtures. I know I need lights. Yeah. I know I need like that kind of stuff. Appliances. I'm just going to go ahead and order. Yeah. Right. I mean, Daryl did something super smart at the end of last year. He just bought a bunch of appliances. Yeah. Why? Because he knew he was going to be. He knew he was going to be uh, putting on in a bunch of appliances. And before GE uh, General Electric was it mentioned that they were going to be having a price increase on all their appliances by fifteen percent. Yeah. So he went out and bought a bunch of appliances before the prices went up. Yeah. So like these are the approaches that I'm taking um, because it's it's hard to really kind of control anything else with the market. So the way I'm analyzing it is just, okay, is it a quick in and out? Can I purchase everything? Is it a simple kind of project that I can go in and out of? Uh, I have a little bit of a, a, of a, I don't know if it's an advantage or disadvantage where I have Huge my own guys, where I, I, have a, I have a handle on labor cost. Yes. Right? So my guys are getting, they're gonna get paid the same, whether it's this week, it's gonna be right. six months from, well, they'll probably ask for a raise, but yeah. <laughs> six months from now, it's not gonna be too much different. Right, so I have a little bit of control over that, and like I can push on the speed of things to kind of save money. But I mean, it, that yeah, I mean, I'm just analyzing it a little, a little bit differently because of, because of our my perspective, yeah. like right where I'm starting from. So to sum it up, like overall, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, so you're you're speaking that you want to be in and out of properties, right? Yeah, um, real quick. Did that change from a year ago or a year ago? Were you still trying to get in and out because you run? So I guess it's uncertainty of the future, six months plus. Yeah. Were you yeah. uncertain of the future six months plus a year ago though? Or were you no, not? I guess uncertain? that really hasn't changed in the way that I'm conducting my uh, my analysis. Okay. Yeah, I, I was still always kind of in and out. Now I feel like there's more pressure. There's more, more pressure. Yeah. yeah. So you see a downturn. Mm. <laughs> Recession. Yeah, I was gonna say to sum it up, I'd say we all have changed from a year ago on how we analyze deals. Yeah. Bottom line. I mean, now maybe some a little less than others or in certain areas less than others, but yeah. Yeah. Overall I don't think you could go wrong by overanalyzing. Yeah, you can't overanalyze, and I think that the more you analyze your market, the more as you have more time in the game, the more options you start to create, right? Like, like he was, like uh, Daryl was saying. I mean, you start with maybe just rentals, maybe just flips, maybe there's short terms. Now there's long term. Like there's, like you start to expose yourself to more options. So as you're analyzing it, you're starting to like add more possibilities, more doors for yes. you to get out of, right? So that's the rep thing. That's the talking to more people. That's the listening into what you know our conversations on a weekly basis. Uh, and just kind of like exploring the possible options that are out there. So yeah, because we meet weekly to talk about these things. Yeah, and, and sometimes even twice a week because they yeah. change so often. That yeah, it's really nice to be able to get in a big group and be able to discuss these things because we're all going through the same struggles, the yeah. same positives. Because like, let's be real, houses are selling for more than they ever did yeah. Yeah. a year ago. So there are positives in there as well that you can look forward to. But you got to yeah. look forward to. <laughs> the negatives yeah. on prices. Yeah. You gotta get up. ready. You gotta get yeah. ready for yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Gen H episode one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so